What's up, church? Glad to be here with you this morning on this 4th of July weekend. You guys enjoying your weekend so far? All right, got some stuff maybe going on today. Got some cookouts, eating some hot dogs. Yeah, okay, one guy. <laughs> All right. Um, hey, uh, when I was, uh, okay, let's go back down memory lane. When I was a freshman in high school, I played football uh, my freshman year, and um, I was, a, I, was a, I was on defense, okay, and I was a defensive back, particularly my position was called a, a safety. And so basically what my job was, was to be kind of the, the last guy behind the rest of the defense, and um, I was to lead the other defensive back. So you had a guy playing corner over here, you had a guy playing corner over here, sometimes there would be another safety, or maybe a linebacker would drop back. And uh, our job was to... Uh, a, not let a receiver catch the ball in our zone, okay? And B, was if a running back or a quarterback or anybody got past our defensive line, and then if they got past our linebackers, it was up to us, defensive backs, to stop them before they score a touchdown. And so that was our job. And uh, because I played defense, I did not uh, ever touch the ball, okay? And coaches didn't want me touching the ball because I was not the fastest kid at all. And so... Um, one time, I remember in a game, um, we uh, were in the situation where the other team was punting, okay? And so they're punting to us. When that would happen in that type of situation is we would put a fast guy way in the back, and then my job as safety, along with all the other guys on my team, was we are to be the blockers so the fast guy could run up behind us and follow us and um, hopefully get as far down the field as possible. And uh, this particular game, I remember the other team, they're getting in punt, you know, punting formation. I'm like, all right, the, the fast guy goes to the back, and, and I'm, I know my job. I need a block for this guy to come up. He's going to be running behind me and along with the rest of the guys. But this time, the other team punts the ball, and uh, it's a very short punt coming right from me. And I remember hearing my coach on the sideline, and I'm not supposed to touch the ball, remember, saying, get away, get away, get away, get away. And I know he's talking to me. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I'm like, this is my chance <laughs> to shine. You know, I'm going to go through. You got this web of evil coming as fast as they can. They're all coming for the ball, to tackle the guy who gets the ball. But I'm like, I could get past him. I can weave in and weave out. I might not be the fastest guy, but I'm smart, and I could do this, and I could do that, and I'm going to score a touchdown. They're going to lift me up on their shoulders. They're all going to be saying, oh, Zach saved the day. You know, he, he won us the game. Just all this stuff is, like, going through my mind. But the coach is telling me, get away from the ball. And so I had a decision to make. And I remember I caught that ball. And I ran as fast as I could for about five yards, and then I got just pummeled by 11 guys on the other team because I had no blockers because I was supposed to be the blocker. See, that's not how we were taught to play. I should have let it bounce, go to the fast guy, and blocked. And so what you would do or what we were supposed to do is the fast guy, the guy with the ball, is supposed to stay in the wake and follow his blockers. And when you do that, you are okay, at least for a longer period of time. But I didn't do that. I did my own thing, and because of that, I didn't get far. Now, if you are like me, as a Christian, right, that's how the Christian life feels to you sometimes. See, every single one of us, we are all prone to leave the wake of Jesus, and Jesus is the one who's supposed to be guiding us. He's the one we are supposed to be following, and we all, at some point, different times in our life, we all get out of position, and we stop following him, and we try to do our own thing, and that's a problem. That is the letter of Colossians. Right? The, the whole idea of the letter of Colossians is, hey, Jesus is all you need. 
right? He's the only one you need to follow. You need to focus on him and not get distracted by the web of evil that's like rushing towards you, right? You need to, you need to not get distracted by any of that. We need, and that's the only way really to live a meaningful life. Now, um, for the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into this book or this letter. It's really a letter. And, um, but before we get started this morning, I want to take about I don't know, maybe half the time or so, just to give you the background on what the heck this letter is about and why it's being written and who's it's being written to and who actually, who's the one, you know, what's the letter being, or who's the letter being written from. Uh, this letter is written by this guy named Paul. Paul's a good guy. He wrote maybe most of the New Testament. He writes a whole bunch of letters in the New Testament. And it's written to this little group of Christians in this smaller-ish Roman city called Colossae. This uh, Colossae was actually located in a two-mile valley in between two mountain ranges. And, um, and it, the city was known for being a, a big producer in wool. And it is actually even more known for that than as being very diverse uh, with many different beliefs and many different people groups kind of all meshing together in this one small city. The area around Colossae was actually also known for earthquakes. And ironically, right after Paul writes this letter, maybe within the same year, okay, maybe just months, maybe a couple years later or so, there was a huge earthquake that kind of devastated the entire city. And so because of that, right, this city was in the downswing in terms of importance. Actually, uh, Rome, just a few years before, had built a highway around, like, they kind of bypassed Colossae and hit some other cities instead. And so because of that, they're neighboring cities were a lot bigger, they were a lot more wealthier, and it's kind of interesting, even today, like, I love technology, and technology helps me out a lot. I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking about Colossae, studying it this week, and I'm like, you know, I don't know what this place looked like, and so what I can do now is, like, go to Google Earth, and you can, like, stand there, you know, in a sense, on your computer looking at the screen in class, and you could like, look around, and you're like, oh, I see those mountains. Okay, yeah, over here. And even today, there's just, like, nothing there, all right? It's just, like, rocks, and there's some, like, ruins there, and even archaeologists, they haven't even dug it up because they're so uninterested in the city of Colossae, even though it's some, like, ancient city there, uh, because there's all these other ancient cities around that are just so much more important. And so it's just interesting that even today, it's kind of bypassed by even us as, like, eh, Colossae, not that big of deal. And it was this same way back then. They were in the downswing of things. And so um, that's what the city is about, and that's kind of who this city was. And so Paul, he actually traveled throughout this area just a few years before, but he didn't visit Colossae, probably because it was a smaller city. He visited a lot of the other cities around it, particularly this big city called Ephesus. And Paul spent some time in Ephesus. Um, While he was in Ephesus, there was this guy named Epaphras, Okay, similar to Ephesus, but not. All right, this guy named Epaphras who actually gave his life to Jesus. And Epaphras was a guy who actually was from Colossae. And so when Epaphras went back home, right, he told everybody about this Jesus guy who he had just heard about from Paul saying, hey, there's this Jesus guy. He just died on the cross a few years ago, and, and he died for us. And he told, tells them what we call the gospel or the good news, what Jesus did for each and every one of us. And many people in Colossae believed, and bam, boom, you got a brand new church of young uh, believers that are there, a group of people coming together to do life together, which is what the church is supposed to be. In the meantime, as that church is growing, 
and that church is, is flourishing, right? They're growing in their relationship with God and, and, and reaching out, and it's growing in numbers as well. Paul has been arrested, and he's been taken to Rome, and at the time of writing this letter, he's a, he's a prisoner in Rome, and it sounds like Epaphras is there too, along with some other people that we know, Timothy, Mark, uh, Luke, and some others. And so Paul hears from this Epaphras guy, who was a Colossian, who he had known from Ephesus, about this young church that he had actually had never been to and that he had actually had never met. And they're struggling with some issues. All right, the main problem that they're struggling with is that because they're in this city with all these other beliefs and all these other people groups that are just all over, they're all talking, everybody's t- telling them different things. Um, they are being told, saying, yeah, 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 sure, you can believe in that Jesus guy. I don't know what that's all about. You can believe in Jesus, but if you want to be spiritually elite, you got to do a few things. All right, there's a few things you need to do in my religion or in this religion or in this. And by the way, this is the same idea that we as Christians are told all over our culture today. I mean, even, uh, this, I mean, this is what religion is. Religion is you got to do all these things so that someday you can win favor with God and God will say, hey, come on up to heaven. Once you die, this is awesome. Like, that's, that's what religion is. Same thing, even churches that call themselves Christians. All right, I'm looking at you Catholics, okay, um, tell us that we got to do a bunch of things in order to get to heaven or, or in order to have a relationship with God. These guys, or this church, they are struggling with the same thing. And so they are convinced that they can start with Jesus and advance in their spirituality, whatever that means, by doing things. And what they're doing is they're merging Jesus with the surrounding beliefs of all the people in, Coloss- in Colossae. And they, have, um, they want to change, right? which is a good thing on the inside. That's something we should all want. But they believe that you change by doing a bunch of stuff. Remember, by the way, that this church is new. All right, let's give them a little credit for that. And they didn't have the whole Bible to go by. And so that's the reason why Paul writes. And really what Paul writes in this letter, kind of the gist of it, is Paul's like, no, 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 you guys don't understand. All right, it's not about doing a bunch of stuff or doing a bunch of rituals. You only advance with Jesus. Like you have to stay in his wake. And once you get outside of his wake, all right, it doesn't end up good for you. You don't become spiritually mature by advancing from Jesus. You become spiritually mature by advancing with Jesus. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage these people to help them grow closer with Jesus. And uh, really for us, it's like a roadmap that Paul writes. He's saying, hey, you want to change? Okay, you want to grow? That's awesome. This is how you get there. And so one day, he grabs a stool maybe, I don't know. He's in prison, and he sits down, and he begins to write. And he writes actually two letters to the Colossian church. It's kind of interesting. Um, he writes the letter of Colossians, but he also writes a letter to a particular guy in the Colossian church that we call Philemon. That's the guy's name. And Philemon is kind of interesting. This is kind of all ties in, so that's why I'm bringing this up. Um, he had a runaway slave who had run into Paul in Rome. And in fact, this runaway slave is one of the guys who is delivering these two letters back to the Christians in Colossae. And so one letter is going to the church as a whole and really the churches in the surrounding area. The other letter is specifically going to Philemon where, God, where Paul has some words uh, for him about, uh, about his runaway slave and stuff like that. And so um, as we go through this letter, we're only going through Colossians though, but as we go through this letter over the next few weeks, I'm just gonna be straight up with you up front. It's a little confusing, 
okay? I feel like, I feel like I can't do this justice. Like we could spend a whole week just in verse and then another verse and then another verse. It's just it would take us three years to get through it. So that's not what we're doing. Um, but, uh, but this is, it's just good, good stuff. Um, I don't know about you. I, uh, when I, well, I'm sure, yeah, never mind. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sure you haven't done this. I, uh, I, w- the last decade before we started uh, Tiffin here, I worked with uh, primarily high school and middle school students. And um, for about the first five years, I was with middle school. The second five years, I worked mostly with high school students. And uh, it's kind of interesting. The hardest group for me to, like, connect with is, like, the middle school girl. You know what I'm talking about? Okay? Because they're just all over the place. It's hard to understand their, like, I don't know, their, their train of thought. Um, they would come up to me at, and they come up to me at church, you know, and they're like, oh, Pastor Zach, Pastor Zach, hey, uh, you know what's crazy? All right, and they're talking real fast, and you're like, okay, we'll slow down. And they're like, you know, this happened at school, my cat's sick, and my mom took me to Dunkin', and we got this latte, and oh, wow, I like her shoes. And they're just like all over the place, and you're just like, whoa, 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 slow down like five subjects ago, okay, back up. What happened at school? All right, talk slowly, you know, so I can understand. It's interesting because Paul's kind of the same way in this letter, all right? It's just one topic and then another and then another and then another, and it's a little confusing and it's a little hard to follow. And I think it was hard to follow for these people back then as well, even Peter in 2 Peter, all right, which is a letter he wrote. He writes, he says, hey, um, <laughs> so we heard Paul sent you a letter <laughs> and we're confused. That's what he writes. He's like, this is a little confusing to us as well. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to slowly work our way through the letter of Colossians as Paul spells out the secret to a changed life. Okay? Okay? All right, you ready? All right, we're going to start in verse 1. Here we go. Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. So he says, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. Now, Timothy is actually in jail with Paul. So they're buddies. They're in jail together. They both got arrested. Uh, Next verse, it says, this letter is to the saints in Christ at Colossae. Now, I feel like I always have to point this out whenever the word saint comes up in the Bible, which it comes up a lot. Um, In our culture, we we view saints as like someone who's like a really, really, really good Christian, you know, like ultra-Christian, elite Christian, whatever that means. Like, they must have done something really good, and now they're a saint. The Bible doesn't use saint, doesn't use that term in that way, okay? That was, I guess, made up later. I don't know. But a saint is basically someone who has given their life over to Jesus. So if you've done that in your life, congratulations, you have graduated to saint, okay? We, we on the same page here? You're a saint, I'm a saint. Probably not everybody in here is a saint, but most, you know, a lot of us are saints. We're all mostly saints. So he says, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, so to the Christians who are in the church at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, this is a typical greeting, and it's kind of interesting because you read some of Paul's letters, particularly Romans, and uh, Paul, how do I put this, is not the most tender person, you know? Actually, I was in here, I was talking to someone here um, a few, this is a few months ago, who was telling me, she was like, you know what, I like the Bible and all, and I like reading the Bible, but I don't like Paul. When I'm like, then you don't like the Bible, because he wrote a lot of it. And she's like, she just, you know, it's, it's that type of thinking. And that's because Paul, man, he just says it how it is. He's a little harsh at times. He's not the most 
tender person, which is okay, right? He tells us truth. Honestly, I prefer that. Just tell me how it is. And uh, you read like Romans and it's like, you know, Paul's just like, hey, just want to let you know, hell is hot, forever's a long time, and I'm pretty sure you're going there. And it's almost like he enjoys, you know, talking like that. And, and, but there is another side of Paul that we also see in these letters, especially at the beginning. Um, Paul, you could tell, even though he's straight up, even though he doesn't beat around the bush, even though what he says is truth, and it sounds harsh to us sometimes, I mean, Paul, he just truly loves these people. Right? He loves these church, um, uh, these churches. He's just like, hey, I remember you. I think about you all the time. I pray for you all the time. Like, I don't know about you, but, you know, when I go on vacation and I'm gone for a week, and then I come back and I see AJ, for example, you know what I don't say? I don't say, this is how Paul, by the way, introduces himself to, he writes to Timothy at one point. He said, I, I don't say this to AJ. I don't go, hey, AJ, I've been thanking God for you, AJ. All right? Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, and I've longed to see you again, AJ, when I, while I remember your tears as we parted. He probably does cry when I leave, <laughs> but I haven't seen him, but I think he does. I don't say, hey, AJ, I'm so filled with joy now that we are together again. I don't do that. That's weird. You know what I do? I see him, and I'm just like, sup. <laughs> That's it. That's as good as our conversation gets. Uh, when, I, when I come back. And so Paul, he doesn't do that. Paul's like, I mean, this dude cares. Like, he cares about these people. And so he starts off, he's like, man, you know, you guys are faithful brothers and sisters, and so grace to you and peace from God our Father. In the next verse, he says, we, meaning it's him and Timothy, there's some other guys in the area, Mark, Luke, Epaphras, uh, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. He says, for we have heard, right, from Epaphras, of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. Remember you were saying, I'm a saint, we're all saints. Okay. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of the gospel. Now, gospel, this is like the main thrust of the Bible. Right? The gospel is just the good news. That's literally what gospel means. It's the good news that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, came down. For some reason, he chose to die for us, and he paid for all of our sin because sin has to be paid for because he's perfectly just. And so that's the right thing. It's the just thing for him to do. And he did that voluntarily for us. We'll get into that in a little bit. And so he's pointing this out. He's like, you've heard the story. You've heard about what has happened. And, you, you know, you've heard of the hope in the word of truth. That's the gospel. You've heard of this. He says, that has come to you. And so it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, by the way, just as it is among you since the day that you heard it and you came to truly appreciate God's grace. See, right up front, what's crazy about this? Paul, he begins explaining the idea of God's grace. Now, this is key. This is key to the whole letter. This is honestly key to what we call the gospel. All right, grace, when we understand and when we accept it, this is the source. This is so important. This is the source of our change in our life. See, grace is so key. It's, it's, it's the most important thing. It's all throughout this letter. I mean, grace is accepting that God gave himself up for you. But that's not it. There's a second part to it. And you don't deserve it. That's grace. He died for you, like God of the universe, who could do whatever he wants, came down to the dirt to die for you and you in no way, me included, did not earn it. 
We didn't earn it. There's nothing that we did that God's like, oh, well, I'm going to die for you now. There's nothing, all right? He died for us, and we did not earn it. That's grace. That's what grace is. By the way, if you've earned grace, it ain't grace. Right? See, the Bible, what we get this wrong some, a lot of times, and this is what religion teaches against. And The Bible says, no, no, no. The Bible doesn't say try harder and harder and harder and harder. The Bible says you can't do it. Right? Like if you meet a Christian and they say, well, you know, I've done a lot of good and I've tried my hardest and I go to church sometimes and I kind of earned heaven, then I'm just telling you they're not a Christian. Okay, if you could earn your way to heaven, then he, Jesus, didn't have to die. And so if you guys, I mean, we got, you know, if you meet somebody and their idea kind of swarming in their head is like, hey, yeah, me and God, you know, I'm going to go to heaven someday. Me and God, we're kind of doing this thing together. I've done all the things. I've been baptized and I've been communion and I've done confession and, you know, I pray sometimes and I go to church and I read the Bible sometimes and I'm all around a good person. I'm a hard worker at work and I know some verses too, by the way, and if that's their thing, if that's what's getting them to heaven, they're not a Christian. Because that's exactly the opposite of what the, that's exactly the opposite of grace. If you have to earn it, it ain't grace. That's what the early Christians, by the way, called the gospel. That's the good news. He did it even though we didn't earn it. See, we, because of that, we can stop trying and working and clawing at being good enough, whatever that means to each and every one of us in our own minds, we can stop wandering, wondering, we can stop questioning, and we can put our full trust that Jesus paid for everything we ever owned, that we didn't do enough good to like, to like, you know, to impress God, that Jesus did the good, and so, and so he paid for everything that we ever, that we've ever owed because we just can't do it. See, that's what Paul desperately wants these new Christians to understand. It's not Jesus and it's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and I'm a good person. It's just Jesus. It's not Jesus and, oh, I was baptized. It's just Jesus. In the next verse, he says, you learned this. What's this? Grace. He's like, you learned about this. You know this concept. From Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant, he is faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. And so he's saying, hey, you know, Epaphras has told you about this stuff. You've heard this. Basically, Paul's saying, hey, good job, great reputation. Epaphras has told us all about you. This is awesome. In fact, Paul's going to say, hey, we pray for you all the time. I mean, think about it. Paul and Timothy, they're in prison together. They probably have time, right, to do a lot of praying. And so they're probably going, oh, 9 o'clock, we pay, pray for Colossians for this three-hour block. You know, I don't know. They had a lot of time to pray. And Paul's like, hey, we've been praying for you. And by the way, we haven't stopped praying. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. Like, this is something we always do. We always pray for you. I care about you. Even though, remember, Paul has never even met these people. Um, a few years ago, Kate and I, we were driving to Thanksgiving in, er, in Colorado, and I've told you guys this story before, and as we're driving in the middle of Nebraska, in the middle of nowhere, we hit a deer. And so we totaled the car, but we were able to, like, button things up to at least uh, drive the, the car, keep the car moving. And I remember, as a, you know, as a, any millennial would do, I'm taking a picture of, like, the blood splattering all over the place and the hair that's stuck in my 
bumper and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm, like, posting that, like, on, you know, Instagram and stuff like that because that's what we do. And when that happens, you know, like, word gets out. People would text me and people would comment. They're like, oh, I'm praying for you. A lot of these people are from church, which is awesome. And I'm like, hey, thank you for that. Um, And when I hear people saying, hey, we're praying for you. You got this bad thing that happened in your life. You know, in that moment, I'm thinking, hey, thanks. Awesome. Really appreciate your prayers. Yeah, pray that we will, you know, get a lot of insurance money to replace this thing. You know what I'm talking about? Pray that this isn't going to set me back several thousand dollars. Like this bad thing happened. And so the way we naturally think is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray for my circumstances. I very much appreciate that. And it's interesting because when Paul's writing this letter, the Colossian church did not have any, uh, an easy life. At this point in history, 99% of the Roman Empire is living in extreme poverty. Right? The Colossae economy is just going down. It's getting worse and worse and worse. The government's cracking down on this new group of people called Christians, and the other religions are cracking down on this new group of people called Christians. In the meantime, you got all these earthquakes that are like happening all over the place. I mean, these people are going through some things. So there's a lot for Paul to pray about. But Paul doesn't pray for their circumstances. So interesting here. He says, we pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Huh? What's that mean? Right? Paul's not saying, I pray that you know more stuff. Paul's saying, hey, I pray that you actually know God. There's a difference between knowing about somebody and actually knowing somebody. He said, I want you to actually know him, his will, and all his wisdom and spiritual understanding. So that you may walk worthy of the Lord. He's saying, here's the reason, right? Actually, what we see here is there's a, there's a relationship, or there's, a, there's a, an order here. See, this is key. This is, breaks everything all down. He's saying, first you have the relationship, right? First you get to know God, and then you change. It's not the other way around. It's not we change, and then God gives us a relationship. It's not that way. It's no, no, no. We go to God when we're broken, When we're like, okay, I can't change on my own. I am messed up. I am jacked up. That's when we go to God and then we begin our relationship with him and then we begin to change. It's not that we change our lifestyle, then we receive a relationship or then we get to go to heaven. It's no, no, no. We give up and finally accept his grace and then change begins. There's an order to this. Paul's pointing this out. He's saying, you get the knowledge, you get to know God, so that then you may walk worthy of the Lord. So then there's change in your life, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. You continue to grow. You get to know him better. All right? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Uh-oh. I don't like the sound of that. If something bad happens in my life, don't pray for me to have patience and endurance. Pray that the circumstance change. Like, isn't that how we think? I don't want patience and endurance. Just have it go away. Then I don't need the patience and endurance. Paul doesn't pray that, okay? He says, so that you may have great patience or great patience and endurance. And then joyfully, huh, okay, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Right? It's crazy. By the way, notice real quick, he uses the word enabled. By the way, this is past tense. 
meaning he already did it, meaning it's done. He saved us already when we were at our worst. And everyone who's truly a Christian gets that. Everybody who's truly a Christian, we understand that grace and we accept that grace. So the question comes down to, why the heck is Paul praying for this? All right, why pray for this? Why not pray for their circumstances? Why are you pay, praying for their patience and endurance? Like, I'm just saying, when, when I hit that deer a few years ago, all right, if someone came up to me and said, hey, Zach, I just want to let you know, I am asking God and praying for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance of life. If someone came up to me and said that to me after something bad happened in my life, I'd be like, okay, thanks, I think, I guess. But in the moment, I'd much rather have the insurance money or the, cir the circumstance to be changed. See, I'm sure the Colossian people at this point, they would rather have their circumstance change as well. Like they'd be, you know, I'm sure they get this letter and they're like, well, Paul, thank you for that. But uh, very kind of you. Um, but I'd rather be accepted by the people in this town. Or I'd rather, you know, I'd rather have food so that I could feed my family. Or I'd rather yeah, just the earthquakes to stop. Like, could you just pray for that? Like, God can do that. How about that? And Paul's like, yeah, but that's not what you need. Like, that's a want. What you need is more Jesus. Now, by the way, I just want to say, asking for stuff and asking for our circumstances to change is not bad. It's just not that important. It's so interesting. When we pray and we pray for other people, we pray for ourselves, you know what we do? We pray for the unimportant stuff. And we totally skip the important stuff. And Paul, he doesn't do that. He's going straight to, he's saying, hey, you know, I'm, I'm not praying that, that, uh, that you get more stuff or that your circumstances change. You know, it's not, hey, God, give me more stuff. It's, no, God, give me more you. Paul's like, I'm not asking God to change your circumstances. I'm asking God to change you. So much more important. All right, praying shouldn't just be, hey, God, fix this in my life. It should be, hey, God, fix me. See, Paul explains this in the last couple of verses here. He says, he has rescued us. Remember, this is a rescue mission Jesus went on. Right? He rescued us from what? From the domain of darkness. Now, when we read this, we're looking at that and it's like, okay, Paul, are you saying I'm in the domain of darkness? Like, I've always been a pretty, pretty good person. Like, uh, like what exactly are you saying here? It sounds a little dramatic to us. Right? But what we don't understand is that everything's a big deal. God's a big deal. Sin's a big deal. The rescue is a big deal. Our new identity is a big deal. And where we live, God describes and Paul's describing, is like the sin, not just, I mean, it's not just around us, but it's also within us is like sin and darkness and nasty. It's just like a cesspool. I've told you guys this before. The way I envision it is like God's up in heaven and he's doing his thing. And he's like, oh, it's time. Almost Christmas. I'm heading in. And the angels are around him, and they're just like, you're going down there? Wait, you're going, you're actually, you're actually, you're seriously going down there? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm actually going to become one of them. And they're like, oh, don't touch anything. You know, like, don't get them on you. It's gross. It's successful. It's dark. It's the domain of darkness. And Jesus came into that to rescue us because it's a rescue 
mission. And when he did that, now he has transferred us. And this word for transferred, it's like, it's the same word as deported. When we think of the word deported, we're like, okay, deported is bad, right? You go from being in a good place and then you get deported to a bad place. But here Paul's like, you know what's so crazy about this? It's actually a good deported. He transferred us. We actually get deported, right, from a terrible place to the best place. It's the exact opposite of how we would naturally think. And he says, so that has happened. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And in him, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, that's what grace is. Jesus swooped in, and he rescued us from our sin, and he didn't have to. And for some reason... And I don't know why. He wants a relationship with us, even though we constantly rebel against him. And God doesn't make it complicated. He just says, you know what all you have to do is ask. It's not something we're born with. We're born running from God. It's all we have to do is ask. That's it. It's not complicated. And every true Christian at one point in their life has come to this realization of grace. Okay, I can't do it on my own. I need help. Actually, I can't do anything. I can't move the needle at all, but Jesus can. And so if we truly want change, the only way to change is through a relationship with our Creator. And our church is full of people, including myself, who has made that decision and seen that change personally. And actually, here's one Example of that. Before Jesus, my life was very difficult. Um, I was in a toxic marriage. Um, we were high school sweethearts, and at some point along the years, it became very mentally, emotionally abusive, controlling, and I spent a lot of my nights crying and wishing that life would be different, and I just knew I didn't want my life to be like that forever. So my uh, now ex-husband had an affair, and um, that was really tough, but I kind of saw it as my way out of that toxic marriage. I was sort of thankful for it, but with having two children, splitting up time with them was the most difficult for me. I didn't know how to be anything but a mom. I didn't think I was good at anything but being a mom. I had no identity other than being a mom. So. The first night they were gone, on my way home from work, I just knew I didn't want to go home to that empty house. And I just kept thinking about if I just drive my car into oncoming traffic, I wouldn't make it home. I was sitting in the empty house, just staring at all of their things in their bedroom that was had nobody there, and it was really lonely. I didn't want to live like that. I didn't feel like I had a purpose. And so I just wanted to end it all. I planned to overdose on some medication. And um, I was going to do that right before bed so I didn't have to wake up the next morning. I was pleading with God and kind of yelling at him because it wasn't fair. I didn't feel like I deserved that. And um, then a sense of calm came over, and I was—I heard a voice tell me that this isn't the end. I have a lot more to live for, and I had to keep going. I was looking for a group um, to help get through the divorce, and I came across Divorce Care and saw that it was at Grace. 
So I attended that Wednesday, and the very next Sunday, I made the decision that I wanted to attend a service. That service was in the Sola series, and Pastor Kevin was speaking about, through grace alone, we are saved. And I really felt like it was just kind of directed towards me. And at the end of the service, he had asked anyone that wanted to give their life to Jesus to say a prayer, and there was no doubt in my mind. I said that prayer, and um, immediately my life has been forever changed. So after accepting Jesus, my life um, just became more happy and more peaceful. I was able to forgive for a lot of the things that went wrong in my life. I met friends through the church, and I finally feel like I'm a part of a home and a community, um, something I've never experienced before. I prayed for a new job that allowed me to stay home and see my kids more often. And in October, I accepted that job. Life has just been better knowing that Jesus is helping me and walking me through life. <clears throat> see, I love how it was Mallory. She realized that is grace. It's only grace. That's the only thing that we can count on. I mean, it, it, we can't do it on our own. The only way to start that relationship with Jesus, the only way to get to heaven is to give up and give our life over to Jesus. And when we do that, as Mallory said, that's when we experience change. And by the way, I just want to say, if you've never done that before in your life, which I know there's people in here that haven't, what are you waiting for? Right? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed this afternoon. And so I'd encourage anybody, if you've never made that decision, or maybe you, you're sitting here and you're like, I've been going to church for a long time, but I don't remember when I did that. I'm just saying, take care of that today. Because I can tell you, I promise you, I know this from experience, doing life your own way doesn't work. Stay in the wake of Jesus. Follow him going outside, it doesn't work. So if you've never done that, get some time today. I know it's a busy weekend. This is the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life, though. Go on a walk, do something just between you and God and hash it out and talk to God and invite him to be a part of his life and accept his unlimited, overfilling grace. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these words, and I'm excited about this letter and going through Colossians over the next few weeks, and there's a lot to learn, and it's so deep. There's just, even today, there's just so much we weren't able to cover just because of time. God, we thank you for giving that to us, and thank you most of all, more than we can ever imagine. Thank you for the grace that you have poured out on us, unearned favor with you. And it cost just something. For some reason, you love us and you care about us. Even though we rebel and even though we're evil, in the domain, like you said, in the domain of darkness, you rescued us. And we thank you for that. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.